following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Broadcasting from deep inside the forests of Arborea, welcome to Flash Gordon Minute. Presenting your hosts, survivors of the Wood Beast Trial, Brad and Eric. It is minute 101 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how are you doing? Uh, Brad, you know, we've been recording this show so long, I'm just, I've had it with this stupid microphone stand. I'm just, I'm kicking it out of the way. <laughs> I should do some Foley sounds of, like, the kicking happening. But, uh, but yes, it's a, it's a great minute, but uh, somebody who's not in our way and who will stay with us for this minute. Uh, Eric, who is our guest today? He's, he's sticking it out through the whole week here for day number three. We've got BK, the host of BK on the Air, a talk show that discusses a topic very close to our hearts, nostalgic geekiness. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. There are four scenes in Flash Gordon that really freaked me out as a 14-year-old, and there's two of them coming up in 101 that uh, I really want to talk about. All right. Awesome. <laughs> so here we go. So, uh, Eric, let's dive in. What happens in minute 101? Well, I, I have a guess on what creepy moment number one is going to be, but uh, our PK is going to have to wait just a quick second before we get to that because I want to I first discuss a couple of lines of dialogue here between Baron and Zarkov. Uh, Baron mentions that the atomic generators are six miles underground, and that's why Zarkov can't turn off the energy field. And then uh, as he leaves, he says uh, he's, he's heading for Sector Alpha 9. And... Uh, I don't really have any anything uh, uh, really witty to say about these two lines. I just, for some reason, they just kind of stuck out to me as just you know standard science fiction movie lines. You know, uh, we need some, we need him to go somewhere. Uh, yeah, Sector Alpha Nine. You know, uh, and uh, the atomic generators are six miles underground. I don't know. I, I I don't really have a commentary. I'm just kind of just pointing this out. Well, first off, just the fact that it smiles. Uh, and we've talked before where they should be coming up with some new units of measure. Uh, uh, the thing that struck me about that was uh, he's like, you know, hold down the fort. It's like, hey, how about giving Zarkov a gun or something to hold down the fort? It doesn't seem like Zarkov really has the um, the tools for this particular task that he's been assigned. Yeah, if anyone, if any soldiers enter, I mean, unless he pulls uh, maybe the fire ring off of Kala's dead body, uh, he doesn't have anything to defend himself with. I would so grab. I would have so grabbed that weapon. What a weapon that would have been. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> well, and yeah, and it's um, <laughs> and that could have just been a neat little bit of business of while they're talking, Baron checking to make sure Kala's dead, grabbing the ring is like here, hold the fort, and then just tossing it. To her. Like they could have done something with that. Uh, it seems like they sort of, yeah. He's like, yeah, hold on the fort and runs away. He's like, you know, he's. He's not up for this. He's just sort of a scientist guy. And he's just waiting for him to come back. It, it was a, struck me as an odd moment, and we've had such solid mo- uh, minutes up com- uh, coming to this. And this is one where it just seemed like they sort of ran out of... Uh, <laughs> the writers all took a bathroom break at this time, and they just sort of did it. Deadpool 2, that's just lazy writing. <laughs> uh 
right, so, so, so then what is next? Uh, I, I have a feeling next is, is gross moment number one uh, for BK because Kala's death turns out to be just as disgusting as Clytus's is, and it's pretty clearly inspired by the Wicked Witch of the West. You get a <laughs> disgusting oozing noise as her body just sort of melts into liquid. Yeah, the ones that really got to me were the, the wood scorpion on a borea. That's always creepy. The, right. Uh, Clytus's death, obviously, always that, that image of him, his face coming out of his mask has always stuck with me. And and one of the ones, the one of the two here in scene uh, 101 is when, uh, you know, Baron rips the, the cylinder implant from the from from Ming's henchman there. But he does. He shoots General Kala and she just liquefies away. And the sound effect that you hear of the liquid just coming out of her in this low groan dripping noise just adds to the to the creepy effectness effectiveness of the scene. Yeah, it's a great sound effect. And it's simple. It's simple. It's really simply done, and it's really effective. Yeah, it, it was really effective, and in, in some ways, this is even creepier than, um, you know, what happened with Clytus because Clytus, because of the mask, and because you never really saw, uh, you know, anything really human about him, um, it, it, it that took away a little bit of the impact. Kyla just looks like a woman, um. And for her to like all of a sudden just start melting is like what 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 what's happening here? <laughs> right. She didn't get any water thrown on her or anything. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Wait for her to say, "Oh, what a world! What a world!" Does anyone die normally on Mongo? I don't think so. If you're a native, <laughs> probably not. No, it's uh, definitely it's, you're going to melt or something's going to happen. Well, let's talk about Ming's creepy red. Uh, troops, you call. What did you call them earlier? The the the, the, the pig, the pig face, the, the pig, pig guards. Faces. <laughs> they do look like pig faces. I, I always thought that they were, they were just as useless and probably just uh, they mirrored the the guys from this. We talked about it earlier. The century robots from Disney's The Black Hole that came out in seventy nine. They're just yeah. they're these minions that walk around that are pretty much useless. And even their moves were similar to to Disney's uh, robot centuries on the black hole. And when they die. They let out that high-pitched, bizarre scream, much like the guys. And uh, if you guys remember the Beasts, Henchmans, and Crawl, the movie Crawl in '83. Yes, yes. And when you let out that scream when you die like that, it just, it just, I don't know, it makes it better and creepier for some reason. It really does. Yeah, and I think that these pig guards of 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 all the incompetence that Ming has surrounded himself with, the pig guards I think are the are the top of the heap. <laughs> they are. Guards, I'm I'm always going to call them that now. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> the pig guards. Well, the pig guards have a big moment. I mean, they're a big part of this minute, actually. Um, speaking about how dumb they are, I mean, Baron's coming out there against them, and he shoots one of them. This dude's buddy has just been killed, and what does he do? He bends at the waist. <laughs> to look at his dead friend right. instead of where the shot might have come from and killed him. So Baron shoots at him and actually misses. So the guy's got a second chance at life here. But does he look at Baron and shoot at him? No. He looks behind him to look at the wall where the shot hits. <laughs> no, because he's a stupid pig guard. That's right. He still can't. He's still not going to make it. How is this empire not crumbled on its own? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I mean, it does make you wonder what was what were Voltan and Baron waiting for? If this was what Ming surrounded him with, what were they waiting for to to finally just say like, let's go overthrow Ming? Because I don't see how Ming would have possibly won. 
And you know they have to be. You know they have to be thinking it. They're like, you mean this is all we had to do was this all along? <laughs> <laughs> They're kicking themselves in the butt. Yes, yeah, as, as far as overthrows go, this was not a. Uh, this is not the taking of Troy. This is <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no way. <laughs> but yeah, so so Baron's getting some cool action stuff. Uh, I thought it was really considerate of um, them to leave that really handy machine gun laser blaster behind. Yeah, yeah. Leave it behind. How about they just instead of they never even fire a shot at Baron. They they just completely wimp out and they're just like, oh, we gotta get out of here, oh, and then run away without taking even. They don't even take a shot. And then Baron just opens the door, shoots the lock, opens the door, and they're just literally standing there. And he blows them away. They deserve what they they deserve their fate. They deserve it. Let's talk about the big cannon that he does take off the tripod and use. It's probably one of the most unique and cool looking. It shoots some of the most unique and, and cool looking circular like laser bolts in sci-fi history. I've never seen anyone do that effect ever again are the bolts that, that, that come out of that gun. It's really cool. They're like little circles that are, that are, that are neat. Yeah. And then he kicks the stand that it was mounted on. Why? Oh. Because it's cool. He's an he's an action hero. That's exactly what he should do. Last week, <laughs> last week we had my favorite psych egg of the movie. The the um, the banner going by at the wedding about uh, you know all creatures will make merry under uh, you know pain of death. Uh, and <laughs> right. This is this is now my second favorite psych egg of the movie. Just the kicking of the stand. I love it. It's just like. I mean, he, he should not have time for it, but he's just he's just so annoyed at everything. Like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> they might they might use this again. I don't. Yeah, want to I, do I just want to get this thing out. I, I love it. <laughs> it is great. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so much fun and him kicking that over and uh, it, it, you know it, it was nice that they gave Timothy Dalton a chance to look really cool. Um, it, it, and they didn't have to because this is Flash's movie. Obviously, Flash is always going to look coolest and he's going to be the best fighter and everything. Um, uh, it, you know, uh, but. Timmy Dalton does action well. He, he's he has a little bit of athleticism. Um, he he has good presence, and uh, you know when you see stuff like this, and you, as you know, BK as he called out yesterday, you you could see where he'd be a great Robin Hood or a good James Bond, and uh, he's he can look dashing while you know being convincing in a completely unconvincing movie. Right, and name you know name whatever he's name whatever he's been in. Uh, timothy dalton i mean anything from you know playing bond to uh being in just total stinkers like brenda star the movie he was in or uh, he, he played a great uh smarm, smarmy uh supermarket guy in in uh, hot fuzz <laughs> you know the hot fuzz movie and penny dreadful he was fantastic in the series penny dreadful so just about anything timothy does uh the actor dude the errol flynn ripoff guy from rocketeer that he was in uh neville he was he's just great at anything and flash gordon is no different no, definitely. He, he, it seems like the only thing that people don't universally think he's great in is James Bond, unfortunately. And yeah. And I'd have I'd, ha, I'd have words with him over that because I thought he was a fantastic Bond. I thought he was a he was a return to the grittiness of Sean Connery, uh, which we kind of lost with Roger Moore. No, nothing against Roger Moore. He was the Bond of my generation, and I love Roger Moore. Just each guy has kind of a different take on Bond, and, and Timothy was a little gritty again. Yeah, and during our conversations about timothy dalton you can't really talk about timothy dalton without talking about him being james bond and he did a lot of the same things that daniel craig did and got a much more positive reaction for doing that's correct that's a, i agree with that 100 percent. you're right i think probably just a thing of we're in an era that's more gritty anyway 
you know, when you're in an era where they don't have where they have Superman not like wearing bright red and blue costumes because they want it to be grittier and more realistic, that's an era where you know James Bond can be more of a dirty fighter and you know can be a little darker. Right, but I always warn those guys in that attitude of filmmaking. I always go, "Well, be careful of that because it still is an escapism, and I still want a little uh, unbelievability with my believability." And if you know what I mean, <laughs> I do like to have a, a little escapism. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent realistic NCI all the time. Yeah, but it'll all go back, and who knows? Um, as we're um, as we're recording this, you know, they've been showing a lot of uh, ads for Shazam. Um, which has has a really bright red costume and a very naive and likable and you know you know starry eyed uh, main character. So you know if something like that takes off, all of a sudden we could see it sort of go in the opposite direction because it does. You know, often it, the pen the pendulum swings. You're right, and, ho- and hopefully DC is going to, to do that with uh, with Shazam. It's going to be a refreshing change, and I hope they do it well. I'm looking forward to that, too. Yeah, and if things get lighter and funnier and uh, campier, that's the chance that we'll have to finally see Flash make his way back. Well, here's I know all of us, and I know all of us right now that are talking are hoping that. I know I am. Oh, I would love it. Uh, it would be really exciting for it to happen again. and uh, It's an IP with value. And, you know, good Lord, there's going to be another Robin Hood movie out in the next month or two. There is? If they can keep making... Uh, That's yeah. right, yeah. The guy from Kingsman. What's his name? Edgar... Edgar... Yeah. <laughs> Him. <laughs> and I like that actor. Guy. Yeah, I do too. Um, but, you know... Eh, I, the Robin Hood uh, brand is just... I mean, I don't know. I, I view that... I, at, at this point, to me, like Robin Hood, King Arthur... I mean, there are certain... Uh, uh, old t- time brands that to me just you know it's just time to move on. Yeah, yeah. T- uh, uh, Taron Egerton. That's it. Yeah, that's right. Very good actor. Very athletic. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's and I'm with you, Eric. There's just some brands that boy they're just worn out. And Robin Hood, that's one of them. Uh, and then King Arthur. There was just a King Arthur movie last year, and ugh. Like a big flop, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah lost it did. a ton of money. Yeah, it did, and it it will always be uh, uh, compared to Excalibur, at least in my eyes. For many, oh, me too. Many sure, it's a great movie. Uh, and of course, you know, Lone Ranger seems like once a generation. There's a Lone Ranger yeah. pro- uh, yep. property that comes out that nobody cares about. Yep, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, Clinton Spilsbury, another guy. Where did he go? Legend of the Lone Ranger. That, that, his, his, that's uh, an, another another main character, by the way, whose voice was completely dubbed over, just like our Sam Jones. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I don't think he's done. I don't think Clinton has done anything since. Mm. No, I, apparently he was impossible to deal with. Didn't really take acting seriously, and that that Lone Ranger was such a bomb that it, it just crushed his career and you know well we we talked about return to camp and campiness speaking of campiness when zarkov is trying to deactivate the lightning field whose phone number is he dialing exactly (laughs) (laughs) with his big the big jolly rancher buttons that are uh, that he's pressing down so lightly (laughs) it made me think of uh, um the old game uh, Trouble, when you would pop the die to... to <laughs> oh, <die>. yeah. Trouble. <laughs> it rolls the dice for you. That's right. 
and I've paused it. I've zoomed in. I'm trying to see if there's any symbols on the button, and I can't really make out anything on those buttons at all. Do yeah, you guys it, see anything? It looks like it's just circles and dots. Yeah, I guess it's a pattern, I guess, that he, yeah. knows that he needs to enter in. <laughs> Let's see, square, dot, zero, triangle. <laughs> That's it. It's <laughs> uh, great. Gosh, it is great. So uh, what, what else we have? We, we, we get to see Ming uh, coming out for his wedding day. He looks great. Yeah, we do. He does look great. He's walking out. He's strutting out, actually. I would, I would use the word strutting. Uh, and I think that... Um, Brad and I probably, because the wedding is just the last few seconds here of this clip, uh, so Brad and I probably contractually obligated to not discuss the wedding till next week. But that does not mean BK, <laughs> you can't, since this is your last minute here. Uh, what, g- give us your thoughts on not 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 even just these few seconds, but your thoughts on, on the wedding scene as a whole. Well, again, we see another shot of the huge, <laughs> that huge set of Ming's court, uh, complete with attendees and more of the fantastic costuming that was that was in this film. Now, I know. I know everyone said it was a campy movie and it was much maligned movie in the serious world of Hollywood. I always looked down on this movie, but I was art director, John Graysmark and costume designer, uh, Danilo Donati. They deserved an award, I think for their work. And I'll even say an Academy award. I would have given them one. Cause when you look at this film, even today, I don't care if it's over the top. The, the, the first scene, when everyone comes out in the courtyard, you got, uh, uh you got, uh, Ming's daughter, uh, Everyone is in the courtyard and, and the, the just incredible, incredible costume design. I can't even express enough just how incredible uh, that, that, that they look. I mean, uh, I think that otherworldly productions deserve maybe awards more because some movies win awards for making a World War II film and you make everything look like it's in the 40s or in the 30s or whatnot. But that's kind of cool because you have a guide to go by. We know kind of what costumes looked like in the 30s and the 40s and maybe the 50s but when you have to start from scratch and go okay i have to invent a complete costume uh several hundred costumes for several hundred people in this movie which no one knows what they look like because it's in the future or on another planet that to me is another level of creatism that i think should have won an award for in this movie yeah, you know, uh, it actually the movie did get it. It, it wasn't nominated for the uh, at the Oscars, but it did get a few nominations. Um, we actually haven't talked about this yet, Brad. Um, it got uh, it actually had three BAFTA nominations, which is the British Academy Awards. It was not, and it indeed one of them was best costumes, and one of them was best art design, uh, and the other was best original film music, which we spoke to um, uh, Howard Blake about that he shared that nomination with Queen. Uh, and then it also was nominated for uh, a few Saturn Awards, which is, uh, you know, a science fiction uh, uh, category awards. And that was also nominated for Best Costumes. And it also got a nomination for Best Science Fiction Film uh, and Best Supporting Actor, which, and I didn't write down who, but I'm assuming it was Max von Sydow. And I'll, I'll look it up while we're chatting, though. Were they all nominations or did it win anything? All nominations. It didn't win anything. Wow. See, that's what I mean. I, it, I think it was overlooked all the way around and and i thought wow at least at the very least for our direction and 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 uh, and, and costume design uh, well deserved i feel like that's something that they've gotten hollywood's gotten better at in recent years where when you have a big successful movie like say a marvel film or um you know a big genre film um they're never gonna they rarely properly um reward them for acting or directing uh, but they, because they're special effects awards and because they're costuming awards, they'll, 
at least throw them a nomination. It, be, it becomes like the win for them is being nominated. Um, I know there's so much talk about um, all the positive buzz and um, the reviews that the Black Panther film got. Uh, they're, they're tr- talk about trying to, you know, wanting that movie to get a Best Picture nomination. I'm not sure that'll happen, um, but that's definitely going to get. But but I could very easily see it as sort of a recognition it, because of all the good costume work and stuff like that. I think it could get a nomination that way, and that ends up becoming the way those movies are sort of recognized. I wonder if Flash had been a bigger success or had moved the needle culturally when it came out. Maybe it would have gotten that recognition because it ends up, and it shouldn't, because great costumes and great sets are great costumes or great sets, regardless if it made $5 million or $500 million. But that's not the way Hollywood works, unfortunately. Right, and I agree with you. I think the door opened slightly and uh, when we got that first hint of recognition in 1986 when Sigourney Weaver was nominated for Aliens. And I'm like, wow, a, a lead actress in a science fiction movie who's a great actress and, and deservedly so gets nominated for an Academy Award in Aliens, which was fantastic, I thought. Was it the it was Aliens, uh, the second one? Yeah, alien. Yeah, aliens in '86. Yeah, aliens. She didn't win, but they but they nominated her, and I just thought that was a big surprise, and I loved it. It's almost funny because, and both the first two Alien movies were fantastic. It's crazy that she got nominated for the second one because the first one I would almost see because it was more suspense, and the second one was more of an action film. So I would have seen it for the first, but second, but you know it. Either way, deserved because she was so wonderful in those movies. But I understand what you're saying. The not the, the acting uh, job and and the characterization in the first Alien movie would seem a little more Academy Award worthy than Aliens would have. You're right about that. But eh, yeah, maybe they wanted. To, <laughs> sometimes Hollywood does make goods. It's like, oh, we should have nominated her for the first movie. We'll do it this time. <laughs> well, they're about to create a whole new award for motion capture, motion capture acting, which I think is another great idea. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, just call it the Sandaris Award because of how great. Or the, or the Andy Circus Award. <laughs> yeah, sir, yeah. <laughs> You're right, yeah. <laughs> Which, that takes a lot of acting, too. We know that. You can't. You have to be a performer to do that. Well, yeah, there's something to be said for the fact that every time he does that in a movie, he's is the characters that are somehow able to work and have the humanity. So, yeah, he, he's wonderful. And he's also, um, he just I know, going back to Black Panther, he just played Claw in Black Panther. He was wonderful. Oh, yeah, great. It's like, oh, he, he's actually great when he's not, a, you know, a talking monkey. That's great. Andy's out without the little motion dots on him. That's great. We can see what he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been nice for him. Oh, yeah, that's great. Eric, you, you found something for us? All right. I I, uh, I, apo- I apologize to our loyal listeners that I, I didn't do ex- my extensive research that I usually do ahead of time, but, but I'm making up for it because I've got it all in front of me now. So, first for the BAFTAs, um, it was production design not art design that it was nominated for and it lost to the elephant man uh interestingly enough the empire strikes back also lost to the elephant man in that category uh and it was nominated for costume design it lost to a movie called uh, i'm going to mispronounce this kajamusha wow i don't know that one not ringing a bell (laughs) yeah and then uh the film uh the original score lost to john williams for empire strikes back uh, then for the Saturn Awards that it was nominated for, so it was one of the five nominated for Best Science Fiction Film. Can't really argue that it lost to The Empire Strikes Back. 
Uh, the supporting actor indeed was Max von Sydow, and he lost to Scatman Crothers in The Shining. And the best costume design, uh, it lost to. Um, and boy, I, I, I'm probably there are probably geeks out there that are yelling at me because I do not know this movie at all, and I'm sure I'm supposed to. But somewhere in time, somewhere. Oh, oh yeah, somewhere in time with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. Yeah, I do not know that movie. Oh wow. It's a pretty good movie. Jeanette Schwartz directed it. The guy that directed Jaws 2 and Santa Claus okay. the movie. It's a time-traveling movie with, with them. It's pretty neat. It's got a, right. cult, a cult following, too. Christopher Reeves, they were trying so hard to make him a, a star outside of Superman, and it never quite worked. Um, and I think that was the closest he had to a successful movie other than Superman. He, he, modestly successful. You're right. I mean, he did the uh, the film version of the stage play we called Death Trap with Michael Caine, and that didn't really go anywhere either. Was it Death Trap or Mouse Trap? I I don't I don't. It I think it was Death Trap. I think it's Death Trap because there's a stage play first. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, yeah. You're right. Death Trap. Oh, well, you, well, you know what? We walk away from that BAFTA award thing uh, learning. What do we learn? We learn that. Uh, Many years later, we're still talking about Flash Gordon, and no one knows who, what the hell Kamas Kushra is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, right Ka- Kajamusha. I'm sure everybody involved with that movie was very proud of it. I'm sure they are. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. This is all right. We're all put to shame now because it's an Akira Kurosawa movie. No. Oh well. Now yeah. we're now I'm, we're all put to shame. <laughs> I'm gonna, as a as a film lover, I'm going to burn now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We all oh, just wow. goofed on an Akira Kurosawa movie. <laughs> <laughs> But I never heard of it, though. I know, and <laughs> and it. it's even it, George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola were the executive producers. How have we not heard of this? Oh movie? wow! No, I don't know. That's uh, that's. I'm embarrassed now, almost. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, I'm going to back us up. He Kurosawa, who's an amazing a director, but he went through his sort of slump years. So I have a feeling that was one of the movies. Sort of like uh, when um, when Scorsese won, finally won his Oscar for um, exactly. I can't even think of the name of it. The one with uh, Matt Damon. Oh, uh, The Departed. Yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with The Departed, but that was not one of his. No, you know, you're right. Yeah. It, it's you know, it, and I think it's probably the same thing for Kurosawa, where eh, he won the award, but it, he won it because he's him. Not right. because it was one of his more, you know, recognized and you know beloved films. It's not Seven Samurai. Right. I'm, I'm going to stand up. It, it, Flash is still a movie that people will know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. And I'm sure there might be a Kurosawa podcast network out there somewhere. I'm sure there oh, probably sure. is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that have covered that film too. And and they are sitting. <laughs> they're recording right now, goofing on the fact that. Flash Gordon was in the same category as Kajabushi's costume. That's right. There's somewhere going. There's somewhere going. Was the Flash Gordon really totally just not even uh, giving it any respect? Flip side of the coin. Well, we're going to start our Kirikawa minute, uh, Flash Gordon minute feud right now. <laughs> oh no, there it went. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> 
Wait, hey, could could I bring up a character actor that's in this in the marriage scene that that I absolutely love? I've always I've done theater on and off for years and acting and dabbled in it. It was fun. I never made a living at it, but I always wanted to be a character actor. That guy that was in the movie, you know, the guy, oh, that guy, I see him in everything. I don't know his name, but I know him when I see him in the film. He's all over the place. And that guy is Ming's high priest, Philip Stone, the guy, British actor. He's amazing. He's he's a character actor that you saw everywhere. Not a household name. Uh, Clockwork Orange is Alex's father. General Jody and Hitler, The Last Ten Days. He was Barry Lyndon's family lawyer in Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon. Delbert Grady. He was Mr. Grady in The Shining when talking to Jack Nicholson in the uh, in the bathroom. And oh, wow. uh, one of the one of the rare guys that was in three Stanley Kubrick films. Uh, he was Captain Philip Bloomberg in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, where they're sitting around eating the chilled monkey brains. He's the British captain there talking to them. Philip Stone playing Ming's high priest. What an awesome character actor uh, this guy was. He was great. How tough must he be to survive three Kubrick movies? Just, I mean, nevertheless, forget about the character surviving. Yeah, just him as an actor. You're right. Talk, talk to Shelley Duvall about that now if you can. Oh, I mean, I, I'm serious. I mean, she's she's not in the best shape now. And I don't know if it's cause of Kubrick, but she didn't have the best time on The Shining from what I hear. Yeah, I'm just looking, uh, I'm looking at his IMDb right now. Yeah, that's a fantastic career. And yeah, I, I'm with you. There's something fun about, if you don't look like Chris Hemsworth or Tom Cruise. Yeah. And, you know, and, and those aren't always the most fun roles anyway, uh, because, you know, you, you sort of have to be blanded in the middle of everything. Uh, being the guy who gets to say cr- uh, crazy stuff and then only work three days and then go on to the next film. Yeah. It's, it's fun stuff. And you're always working. You can't always be the leading guy, but they always need the cool character actors. Always. Well, what's funny, BK, is... Um, uh, I, I like you. I uh, have dabbled in a little bit of theater here or there. I still do um, dinner theater on occasion. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a wonderful group that I, I do the shows with, and it's funny, they, they always like put out calls. Um, it's like, hey, we need you know three actors for this and three actors for this, and they have like a rotating group of shows they do. They'll put a call out. There's a one show they do. It was like one of these uh, Tony and Tina wedding comedy stuff. And it's like, hey, Brad, what do you want to do for that? And uh, everyone else is like, I want to play the groom because that has the most lines and the most face time. It's like, I'll play the drunken priest. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Because that's the fun stuff. Right. You know, exactly. You, you know, while they're acting, I get to go and sort of, you know, banter with the people in the audience. And, you know, if I get tired, I can play pretend that I'm drunk and passed out, <laughs> which I've done. <laughs> And who are they going to remember that night after the after they go home? You know, <laughs> they're going to remember you. You know, that's right. Well, this is um this has been a fantastic week as always. Um, BK, this has been great having you with us. Um, thank thank you so much. Glad to glad to be here. I'm glad. I'm so glad. Let me say that I'm, you guys brought up composer Howard Blake because after so long, I've been a, a a collector of movie scores for so many years. My love started with Star Wars, John Williams. I think that's where a lot of people started that are our age because he really brought the orchestration back to films in the '70s, and it was great. But uh, when when the score, you know, we love the Queen music. The Queen music in Flash Gordon really works. I don't think it would have worked in Star Wars, but it works in Flash Gordon because of the content. And it was a, it's a great soundtrack on its own. But when I finally was able to pick up the Howard Blake score from for Flash Gordon on on CD, I think I got it from Entrada or something. One of those great soundtrack uh, company uh, websites. 
I got to hear that a lot of the, some of the music is used in the movie, like uh, Dale's acrobatic fight scene with the with the girl and, and, and whatnot. A lot of it's still in there. But you got to hear a lot of other stuff. And it's actually really a great orchestra score to listen to. And I'm so glad that he got got that soundtrack finally, uh, finally released. And uh, it's a great motion picture soundtrack by Howard Blake. Yeah, Mr. Blake is awesome. Uh, we had so much fun when he was nice enough to come on the show. Heck of a nice guy, and uh, yeah, it, that's awesome. He did a great job with this, and uh, as we talked about during the well, his interview, it almost killed him working on this movie. Oh, I know. Did he not? He caught pneumonia or something, got sick, right? Uh, he, uh, if I it? remember correctly, he fell asleep uh, for was it like thirty six hours straight or something like that, and he only <laughs> woke up because his wife, you know, came to the house or was calling, and 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 he, and he wasn't answering the phone and they got a doctor oh, wow. to come and had to wake him up and keep with some an injection of something and essentially the doctor told him if i had not shown up and given you this injection you would have died because he just complete total exhaustion everyone if you wow. haven't listened yet listen to our howard blake bonus episode and and hear the words directly from the man and hear how i completely screwed up the memory of what he told us <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll certainly listen to that one i appreciate that uh, bk please uh, plug your pluggables well, I just want to appreciate you guys having me on the Flashcord Minute. I've had a, I've had a, a ball, and I appreciate it. Uh, you guys can hear me, BK, on the air, if you so wish, at uh, WBHFradio.org every Saturday from 10 a.m. till noon. Uh, you can also download the free TuneIn app and uh, listen online uh, for free. You don't need to pay for the uh, expensive part of it. Just get the free free app. You can put up with a few ads. It's not going to hurt you. And uh, hear me for free. We talk about nostalgic retro geekiness. Uh, every Saturday, we bring the fun Saturday morning cartoons that no longer exist back to you for two hours on Saturday morning. It's me, BK, on the air. Fantastic. We recommend everyone check that out. And uh, Erica, well, Eric, while they're doing that, uh, they should also check out our stuff. Well, where can they find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? They sure should. They can talk to us in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex on Facebook. They can talk to us on Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod. And they can talk to us on email, Flash Gordon Minute at gmail.com. Yeah, we ask for all your range room reviews uh, on iTunes. It helps people find us and uh, join the fun. And it is a lot of fun. But, Eric, it's not all fun. I know, I know. <laughs> Talking with BK, I, I'm, now, I'm, now, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now frightened. Oh, no. BK has frightened you? Oh, no. You know, he talks about how uh, Gil Gerard, uh, you know, goes out and he does so many... Uh, uh, cons and stuff like that, and you know, you and I, we, we go to cons. We go to cons. I'm just worried that I'm going to show up at one of these conventions, and Jill, Gil Gerard's going to be there. And I'm going to look at him and like, and I'm going to say, "Hey, Flash Gordon," and that's going to ruin everything. Brad, Brad, after a, a, after doing a podcast about Flash Gordon and not doing a podcast about Buck Rogers, if you are really concerned about seeing Gil Gerard and mistaking him. For Sam Jones, I, I that that is a major problem. But I, I would stop worrying about it if I were you, because Sam Jones will save every one of us. Well, I only have to say one thing: beady, 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 beady. Attention, listeners! Follow us on Twitter on Flash Gordon Pod. Join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Listeners Vortex. Stay tuned for the next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. Now, pardon me while I put my hand in this tree stump. Ow! Murrin, did the wood sting you? 
No, Jessa, my co-host from Point Break Minute. I got a splinter in my pinky. And talk 